Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at the first seven verses in Luke. Now, ours is a world, as you know, because we all live in this world, that runs on power and might. We naturally respect strength, power, might, influence, wealth, honor. You might not say it this way, but glory. The nations of our world have always jockeyed for supremacy and master over the others so that they may be the best and the highest and the most revered. We live in a world where might makes right. And we also live in a world that looks to show that might off. We live in a world that wants to make a show of power. This is why armies march with guns and tanks in lockstep. They march to be seen as a show of power. This is why bodybuilders flex. They flex to be seen to make a show of their power. This is why billionaires buy massive sprawling estates. They buy them to be seen as a show of their power. This is why nations like ours and Others have traveled to the moon and planted a flag on its soil. That's to be seen and be a show of power. That's why battleships bristle with cannons on their decks. It's to be seen, to, be show, to, to, be, to make a show of power. We all are in awe of strength. And we back off from frightening and strong and powerful things. Today we're going to see two expressions of power in our verses. We're going to see two expressions of power. We're going to see two kinds of power. One is obvious, one is not so much. There's two kinds of power, but there's only one conqueror. Today, the Roman Empire is going to flex its muscles to be seen. And it's going to flex those muscles by having a census. So if you're taking notes, this is the last installment of our Advent series called A Christmas Census. As you know, if you've been here, we've visited and attended the funeral of Christmas at, in Genesis chapter 3. We learned the names of Christmas in Matthew chapter 1. And last week, we beheld the furious dragon, the furious Christmas dragon of Revelation chapter 12. And today, we're going to see two kinds of power, but only one conqueror in our study of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Two, show, two, two expressions of power, but one conqueror, and his name is Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David 
to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room, no place for them in the inn. Let's pray. Lord God, meet us today as we open your word. We don't want this just to be a mere exercise in tradition. Just what we do on Sunday mornings right at this time. What we want to do is meet with you. And I pray that you would be with us today in power. And in your name we pray. Amen. Two expressions of power. First, we're going to meet Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus is the one that has the obvious kind of power. Look at verse 1. Luke says, In those days a decree went out that all, from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, Luke doesn't presume to think that the Roman Empire and the ancient Near East is the only part of the world, is the whole world. But he's saying, he, he's expressing the way the Romans thought about themselves. They thought about themselves and their empire as all that mattered in the world. And so, from a Roman perspective, Caesar Augustus is going to count all the citizens of the world. Now, notice how verse 1 starts out. It doesn't start out once upon a time or long ago in a galaxy far, far away. How does it start? In those days. This means that these events are not fiction. These are real. In time, in space, with real people that actually made and did these things. And so, Caesar Augustus actually decreed this census. Now, the reason Caesar Augustus did this is because he was running out of ways to show his power. Caesar Augustus was the most powerful person on the planet. He held the throne, and the throne he held was in Rome. It was the most secure and stable throne in the history of the world to that point. There were no pretenders to the throne. Anyone who even seemed to be an adversary, he killed. Not only that, but he took his armies and conquered lands all around him so that the Roman Empire's borders were pushed out and pushed out and pushed out so that it became not just the greatest empire the world had known, but the biggest. This man, after consolidating his power and securing his throne and expanding his borders, he built the roads. He had the roads in Rome, the famous Roman roads, all built. He provided drinking water to all the homes in the city of Rome, clean drinking water. He was so revered that poets, even a poet like Virgil, would write this in his lifetime. Look there, speaking to the people, Focus your eyes now on our people, your own Romans, Caesar, and all of Julius's lineage under the great tree of the heavens. Rome thought of itself as a tree. And this man, a man you've heard, promised so often Caesar Augustus. Now, notice how Virgil describes him. This is the Caesar Augustus that Luke's talking about in, in Luke chapter 2. Who is he? A God's own son who will settle a golden age 
once more on Rome's meadows, ruled by Saturn before. He'll open the empire into India, Africa, and the lands beyond the ecliptic, beyond the sun's annual journey, where Atlas turns the sky's wheel on, its, on his back as it's burning with inlaid stars. So do you see what these poets are saying? They're saying, this Caesar Augustus has conquered everything to be conquered on earth. And his realm exists beyond the orbit of earth. This is how great he is. This is how mighty he is. This is how powerful he is. And a mighty, powerful king who has no more enemies to fight and no more land to conquer, what does he do? He counts his people so that he might tax them. And so from his throne, in the center of the world, he decreed that everyone in all the world must be registered. And when someone like Caesar Augustus declares that, the world lurches to attention and jumps to obey. That's the first expression of power. The second expression of power is seen as we meet this young couple. Now, the reason we know that this is an expression of power is because you, we've read Luke before, and we can, we, if you read the book, you recognize that this is the young couple who were going to be the parents of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, if we were there watching, we would not have paid any attention to them. These people, this young couple, that we know to be Mary and Joseph, are nobodies from nowhere. So this couple, when Caesar Augustus makes his decree, they would have to walk. There's no recording of Mary riding a donkey. They would have to walk 70 miles on foot while she's pregnant. Now, I'm no expert on being pregnant, but that seems hard. Walking 70 miles is tough no matter what. But if you're expecting, it's no wonder the baby came when they got to Bethlehem. If we were in a town next to the road that went south to Bethlehem and saw this couple trudging by, we wouldn't take note of them. We wouldn't think, I hope they make it okay. We wouldn't wonder, who are they? You know why? Because we wouldn't have even noticed them. We wouldn't have given them a second thought. Why? They're unimpressive. Not only that, not only are they unimpressive, they're in bad shape. They're too young to be traveling alone like this. They're just kids. She's a teenager. He's a bit older. Worse, especially for that culture, this girl and this boy are unwed. And she's pregnant. And the baby's not technically his. Worse is their hicks from Nowheresville, a backwater where people talk funny. 
and nobody wants to be associated with a town like Nazareth. And then when they get to Bethlehem, this couple, they had nowhere to stay. So they stayed in an animal pen. An animal pen became a birthing room. And an animal trough became a baby's crib. And the straw that was the animal's food most certainly became their bed. And you know what? No one would have noticed. Now, angels told shepherds to notice, and that's the only reason they noticed. But nobody else even picked up their head and took a second glance at this couple. Not one person. I guarantee you, they are nondescript. They are anonymous. They've got, as the world looks at them, nothing to offer anyone. If you think about power, they have none. They're not seated on a throne. They're not making decrees. They're the ones being pushed around by the decree of Caesar Augustus. This whole situation with this couple is wrong. And at every turn, they're rejected by polite and influential society alike. So let me ask you this question. Who is better off? Or maybe we could say, who has more power? Now, the only reason we might be tempted to answer the couple and the baby is because we know the story. That's the only reason. That's the only reason. And that's the churchy answer, right? That's the Sunday school answer. Who has more power? Jesus. Who does this? Jesus. You know, and we just say Jesus because that's what we're supposed to say at church. But when we read this and recognize that this couple and this baby had nothing to offer anyone, or at least that's the way it appeared, on that night in Bethlehem, it should grab our attention because this is an expression of power. It's completely unexpected. The emperor is great and the world knew it. Joseph, Mary, and the baby anonymous. This emperor was established firmly upon his throne. Joseph and Mary and the baby had straw for a bed. The emperor has the world as his own. The baby has a manger for the night. The emperor is celebrated as a god in poetry. This baby was overlooked in a forgotten town called Bethlehem. Our familiarity with the story obscures how illogical and irrational and surprising this scene is. Sometimes, you know what familiarity does? It builds a wall up in front of understanding. And we can think, I know that, but do we? I think the surprise of what happens in Luke chapter 1 can be robbed from us because we think we know what's going on here so completely. But what we have is a collision of two different expressions of power. What we have is a collision, collision of two different worldviews. If we were there and watched this baby come from this, come from this unwed woman, if we were watching, we would think, oh my, nothing good is going to come here. There's no hope for this baby. This couple... 
How are they even going to provide for themselves? What kind of life does this baby have to look forward to being born in an animal pen? But in, its, but in his way, this is the way that our Savior chose to express his power. See, I want you to see this here. We are apt, we're apt to revere and respect power and influence that we can see and touch and monetize. We're apt to respect those who have all the followers on Instagram and Twitter. We're apt to respect those with the biggest houses and the best and the most money and the best cars. We're apt to respect the CEOs and the titans of industry. And we forget others. And so this Christmas census shows us that the economy, the power that's wielded by our Savior is different than we expect. You see, Jesus conquers, as we all know, but not the way we expect. Caesar, that makes sense. Augustus, Caesar Augustus, that makes complete sense. We understand war against your enemies. We understand pushing out your borders. We understand building roads. What we don't understand is God is a baby. What we don't understand is, is God the infinite one becoming a man so that he might be able to rob us of our sin, as the song says, and make us holy. We don't understand that. But I'll tell you what, that's power. Caesar might have reigned over his people, but Jesus became one of his people. That's power. Caesar made a show of, count, uh, made a show of his power. Jesus was overpowered, and then overpowered death. That's power. Caesar had nothing. Je Caesar had everything. Jesus appeared to have nothing, but then gained everything. That's power. Caesar had respect. Jesus had scorn. Caesar destroyed all of his enemies. Jesus was destroyed by his enemies. Caesar ruled the world. Jesus roamed the countryside. But yet, Caesar is not the one who conquered. Jesus did. Just not as we expected. You see, his life was bookended by obscurity and shame. The obscurity of a manger and the shame of a cross. But yet, the obscurity and shame that our Savior experienced was the means of his conquest. Jesus did not save by making war on nations or expanding borders. He saved by making war on sin. Jesus did not save by decree. He saved by dying and rising again. Jesus did not save by making peace or declaring peace. He saved because he himself became our peace. Jesus did not save this dark world by conquering, but by being conquered. <coughs> you see, Jesus showed his power, but he showed his power different than Caesar.
Caesar showed his power by numbering his people. Jesus did it a different way. Jesus did not number his people as a way of showing power. He was content to show his power by being numbered among his people. Those are the two expressions of power. Christmas shows the way Jesus would conquer, and that's through obscurity and shame. He would go on to live a life as a man of sorrows, a place without a, a, a man without a place to lay his head, rejected, abandoned, beaten, mocked, scorned, and crucified. He was made a spectacle of. But here's the difference with this Jesus, this baby in a manger who would grow up to be the man on the cross. He died, but his life did not end in the grave. For the very first time in human history, one invaded the realm of death and defeated it and came back. You see, Caesar Augustus, as powerful as he was, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, could decree and all the world jumped to obey Jesus. Though he seemed as like nothing here in this moment, he seemed like he had zero. But Caesar Augustus is dead. And ashes at this moment. Jesus is not. He rose again to live forever. So let me ask the question again. Who is better off? See, Christmas is a reminder that the way things are, the way things look, is not always the way they, the, the way they really are. Jesus was the conqueror. He conquered sin and death. And all who have trust in him and have life in his name recognize that in this picture, though it appeared that Caesar Augustus had all the power, in humility and obscurity, Jesus is the one who did. And so what does this mean for us? You might say, well, what does this conquering have to do for me? It has everything to do for you. You see, it's in his weakness that he became strong. And you know what that means? It means many things for us. But one such thing is this. You don't have to pretend to be strong. If you're a Christian, you know you're not strong. And sometimes we might think that we have to be strong. Listen, we don't have reserves to tap for that kind of strength. We're not strong enough to make it through life on a daily basis on our own. We're just not. We're not built for that. And sometimes there's a version of Christianity that says, well, listen, if you just buck up and do your best, you're going to be okay, be strong. Well, what we need to recognize is this. Our Savior has strength enough for us. And we can lean on Him entirely. He is the one who entered the world with humility and obscurity and ended up hanging on the cross in total and utter shame. And yet that same one rose from the dead and invites any who would trust him to follow him, not just through this life, but from this life to the life to come and forever. That is strength. That is power. And that is ours, Christian, as we recognize today that our source of power is not obedience. It's not serenity. 
not trying to do better, but it's Jesus. There are two expressions of power here. One long forgotten, and another impacting you right now. This Christmas census, in some ways, showed how strong Caesar Augustus was then. But there's a census that Jesus takes, sort of, later. John records this in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. That's cool. Nobody can number this multitude. This is the multitude of saints from all times and all places who are gathered around the throne one day to worship Jesus. Now you tell me, who has the better census? Not Caesar Augustus. Though he seemed as if he did, he seemed, it seemed as if he held all the cards and all the power was in his hands because in that moment it was, but not for keeps. He might have counted the Roman nation, but here's the census. Here's this multitude in heaven. Where is it from? Every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. No Caesar sits on the throne. Our God and the Lamb are the ones that we will one day praise. That's power. That power began here as a baby in a manger when no one else noticed. One day, one day, that power, we will see him ensconced in his throne, in power, and we will say, Amen. Be blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All of that, glory and honor and respect, and strength and power, started with the Christmas census. These two expressions of power, one, though it didn't seem, but one seemed like it was significant and would last forever, was a mirage. The other, insignificant and hardly noticeable lasts forever. Which kingdom are you a part of? As Christians, we are a part of the kingdom of Christ. And that's why we rejoice at Christmas. Jesus has conquered. He's conquered our sin and he's conquered death so that we might be able to not have to trust in our own power but trust in him. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, I just ask that you would help us to look at this situation, this passage with new eyes. It's so easy for us, even though we know the story of Jesus and know what happened, we still are trapped with revering and respecting those who have influence in our world and, and money and 
strength and fame and renown. That's who we look to so often. But Lord, I pray for us, Lord, that we would be people who think in terms of power like you do. Lord, you came and expressed yourself, Jesus, as a baby in a feeding trough as a way of showing that the way you conquer is different than we expect. I'm grateful, Lord, that as Christians we, we know that you have conquered the sin that so easily entangles us in our lives without conquering us. Lord, you have taken upon yourself the wrath that we deserve and promised us hope and power in you. Lord, I pray that for any here who are not following you, that they would lean toward you and trust you. I pray also, I pray also for all of us that are believers in you, that we would stop trying to be strong and have it all together, but be humble and recognize our own limitations and weaknesses and ask for strength from you because you have strength to spare. Jesus, it's in your name, in your name that we are grateful to know that we pray.